0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay, I'm watching you closely again because I know what happens this time of year. I'll see Gooch over here nodding off. No, I'm kidding. I don't see Gooch nodding off. But that rain, that thunderstorm kept us up all night. That first service was sleeping good through the service. And so Granger and I said, oh no, we're going to have to change this second service. So I'm watching you. I will call you by name if I see you nodding off. Uh, but hey, we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and today we get to one of the most challenging aspects of the Christian life. So let me see if you can think of the topic. What is the hardest thing to do as a Christian, or really as any person? What is one of the hardest things to do in life? Think about these, the story that Jared shared about these young men who are pouring themselves out for the gospel of Jesus Christ and they take off their shirts and they show them the scars on their backs from people beating them to run them out of the village because they were sharing the gospel. How do, you, how do you think that young believer thinks about the people that beat them? And then God says, I call, I command you to forgive your enemies. I think one of the hardest things to do is to forgive and it 's ironic since that is the very heart of the christian uh, christian message it 's a message of forgiveness. We are called to forgive uh, as we have been forgiven, and we, we know stories we know uh, movies, um, a napalm girl on the fire road. Have you heard of that? Um, incredible story of of someone who was who was burned by the napalm in Vietnam. And they ended up forgiving as they had been forgiven. Or uh, Louis Zam- Zambrini, or Zambini, the unbroken, uh, the Olympian who was beat merciless in World War II by the Japanese, and yet he, as he experienced the forgiveness of Christ, was able to give forgiveness. But probably the most important story is yours. And this is one of those. St- this is one of those topics that when I when I talk and I'll say I know some of you who are struggling with this. I know that like everybody in here is going, oh, he's talking about me. Because we all have experienced the, the necessity of having to extend forgiveness to someone who has committed uh, evil against us. And so that's what we see today as we continue. Last week, a lot of you were very upset with me. You came up to me after the service and said, Seriously? You didn't even tell us the the climax where Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers? I'm sorry. I panicked. I was literally halfway through my sermon, and I looked, and I was like, five minutes over time. And so I just kind of got to a point and said, And they all came from Egypt. Uh, I mean, they all came up to Egypt. And I was like, Okay, let's pray. And so anyway... It was a cliffhanger, okay? It's a cliffhanger. Today, we're going to get to that part of the story. I, I intended never to leave that part out, and uh, I just panicked. All right, I'm sorry. So, so today, we are on uh, the idea of forgiveness. And so we're going to see as Joseph approaches the, the subject. I've been talking about Joseph very favorably for quite a while uh, i 've been showing you how Joseph was done terribly wrong now what was what was the sin or the evil that was committed against Joseph? It was his brothers beat him nearly to death and then sold him to human traffickers and so this was a wicked a wicked evil done against him, a very real evil, uh, but we have seen and emphasized his Response of faith and how wonderful an example he is. He's been an incredible example for us on how to not let someone sin against us, uh, rob us of our future and our hope and our and our joy. And so Joseph has responded admirably. He's been a man of faith, trusting God and kept his head down and obeying. But I think last week and this week and there's little traces in the narrative where I think Joseph is wrestling to forgive his brothers and and that's what we kind of see in some of these things remember what he did uh, in the past he 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 uh accused them of spies now as readers we know more than the brothers know we we know what joseph knows which is joseph is the ruler but he's their brother and they don't know it yet and so instead of just saying hey guys i'm your brother it's okay god is good he doesn't do that he says you're spies And then he, remember they brought money to buy grain and he stuffed the grain in the bags. And then what else did he stuff in the bag? He stuffed money in the bag. And so they're like, oh my gosh. And in their guilt, they think God is out to get them. And so he's messing with them. And I think he's taking a little joy in it. And so I think we see a little human side to Joseph after all. I think what any of us would do if we put ourselves in the position of one who has been sleepless many nights with anger and resentment and trying to forgive, and we picture that day that we, can, that we have the power to get even, that it would be very hard not to get even in that moment. So the idea is that, J- that Joseph, we see, is on a journey of learning to forgive his brothers. And I think that's a journey that most of us can relate with. And so let's ask the Lord to do a work in our heart this morning because really that's what it's going to take. It's going to take God working in our hearts by the Spirit, using the Word, changing our hearts, and giving us the ability to forgive someone or multiple people or whoever that we have been egregiously sinned against by them. So let's ask the Lord for help on that. Lord, would you please help us, uh, equip us through this study. Would you equip us to forgive Against to forgive those who've sinned against us, that you would, by your spirit, work in our heart to, to give us the grace and the, the strength that we need to, to respond ultimately the way we see Joseph respond uh, with forgiving. And so, Lord, give us what we need this morning to forgive. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so we left off at the feast, right? We were sitting at the table having a feast of grace. And at that moment, I mean, what better time would there have been for Joseph to say, and surprise, I'm your brother. But he doesn't do it. The guys are sitting there in amazement at the table that they're being treated with such grace and goodness. It literally says they look at each other with amazement. And we said this is a picture of God's amazing grace. So what does Joseph do instead? Instead of telling I'm your brother, he sends them home. Go back to their dad, but this time he slips the silver from his own household. He slips some silver into the sack of Benjamin, the youngest brother, and then he sends them on their way. And then look up, we pick up in Genesis 44, verse 6, which says, When he, this is Joseph's steward, when he overtook them, he's pursuing the brothers. He spoke to them these words, which he basically just said, Why would you steal the master's silver? And then in verse 7, they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing as steal your silver. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sack, we brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? And so whichever one of your servants is found with the silver, he shall die. And we also will be servants. And so he's basically saying, look, we don't have your silver. If you find the silver, then you can kill that one and and enslave the rest of us into your servitude. And so in verse 10, he said, well, let it be as you say. He who is found with silver. With it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Now, if you know the brothers, you know the pecking order, you know the story, who do you think's bag is going to have the silver in it? Benjamin, the youngest, the next favorite. The dad has a problem with favoritism, all right? That's his problem. He seems to do this a lot. He favored Joseph, he favored Rachel, and now he's favoring the other son of Rachel, which is Benjamin. And so he put, Joseph put the the silver in Benjamin's sack. And so in verse 11, each man quickly lowered the sack to the ground. Each man opened up his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest and then ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So they tore their clothes. Every man loaded his donkey and they returned back to the city. Now remember what the brothers We're thinking, how were the brothers processing all the events of their life? You remember that from a few weeks ago? They were guilty conscience. They had not dealt with their sin. They had sinned grievously against Joseph, yet they had never asked for forgiveness, never repented, never dealt with it, and their life has been affected by it. Their view of God has been perverted and twisted, and so they keep interpreting all the events as God is out to get me. Instead of what God is actually doing, which is God has been out to save them from the famine and to bring them to the place of admitting their guilt and turning in admitting and confessing and seeing reconciliation and forgiveness. And so, what does the Bible say to us about getting revenge? We see Joseph getting a little revenge on his brother's. And so I think we need to stop and think, what does the Bible tell us about getting a little revenge on those who've done evil against us? I did a word search in the concordance on the word vengeance, and 43 occurrences popped up. And it was actually very refreshing to read most of those uh, 43 verses. For example, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance. Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. And the New Testament says the very same message in Romans twelve nineteen. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. Now that's the part that you actually can take comfort in. And what I mean by that, I would encourage you. If you're wrestling with offering someone forgiveness... You need to go and do your own concordance search. Google it on a Bible software or go to your Bibles and look in the back. I'll tell you where they're listed. Look at vengeance and read those texts and you will find it strangely comforting. And, and this is okay to know that God will get vengeance. When we say to forgive, we're not saying you just act like it's not evil. We're not saying just let them off the hook. We're just saying, let God pour his vengeance out, not you. That almost sounds mean, but it would be if we stop there. But we should also pray, and this takes a work of God, we should also pray that God, that they would turn to Christ and let Christ take that wrath for them. But in no case are we to be the ones to take pleasure in. The idea of getting vengeance against those who have done us wrong. We are to leave vengeance to the Lord. We can take comfort in the fact that God will get justice. But we should not take comfort in withholding our forgiveness from them. And that's what we do our human nature. When we feel the pain that someone has sinned against us. Because it's very real. It's very evil. It's wrong. You have been sinned against. And you can call it sin. But you, you're tempted by your flesh to take comfort in something, right? You want to be comforted because it's painful. And what our flesh tempts us to do is to take comfort in vengeance. To take comfort in withholding our love and withholding our forgiveness. We take comfort in our own imaginations of getting revenge. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's, that's sin against God. That's not what you want to do. Now in the flesh, I want to say to you, you need to forgive them because it will destroy you if you don't. And that's actually true, but that's not really the the main issue. The main issue is for you to not forgive them is to be in rebellion against God. is to be in sin, to be in disobedience, and to rob God of His glory. And a byproduct of that is it Destroys you, I think most of us, when we think about the need to give forgiveness, we just think, well it 's not good for me well it 's more than that you're also rebelling against God as you refuse to offer or to begin to seek and try to offer forgiveness. oftentimes it 's a journey. not only were you we not to take vengeance, but it's also not only are you supposed to withhold vengeance against those who've sinned against us, but we're also to give them something. We are to give them grace, give them forgiveness. And so this is an impossible calling for those who live in the flesh. You can't do this apart from the work of God in your life. Colossians three twelve says, says, put, put on then as God's chosen ones, as his holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. In fact, the Bible is replete with verses and and parables and teaching that says that the very mark of being a follower of Christ is that you forgive as you have been forgiven. There are parables that are very scary that say things like, if you don't forgive, then you're not forgiven. That's not teaching merit-based righteousness. That's just saying that if you have experienced grace, you will learn to give grace. If you have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, you will learn to give forgiveness to those who have sinned against you. And so the Bible calls us to not give, to take vengeance and to give grace and forgiveness. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to even want to work on this. It's hard to even desire to give forgiveness. And then if you do desire to give forgiveness, it's hard to know if you've even started to give forgiveness. Because when you think of them, there's anger. There's still very real emotions. Have I forgiven them? Have I not forgiven them? It's it's a complicated matter. But it's very important. And it's something that we must face. We must face it with courage. And we must deal with it. And and own up to our own sin. And we want to justify this sin. It's like it's okay. We give ourselves a pass. But it's not. God calls us to forgive. And this complex subject, I cannot do near justice in this message. So here's what we've done this week. I called David Elson who was an intern here and who is a good Christian counselor in town and he's given me a few articles and we've linked to those articles in our weekly newsletter, This Week at Norris Ferry. So when you get that email look down there, find the articles, click the link and you will have some great resources on how to continue to make progress in this journey of forgiveness. And like I said at the beginning, virtually every One here struggles with this in some level. So let's keep reading in verse 20. Judah in verse, um, excuse me, in verse 16, uh, we see Judah and his brothers are brought back to Joseph with the silver having been found in Benjamin's sack and Judah says to Joseph, one of the brothers, Judah, says to Joseph, well what shall we say, my lord? Now listen to these words that come out of his mouth. What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now that is what everyone wants to hear from the person who's done them wrong. But we don't usually get that privilege. Even in this case, they're they're not really owning up to, to anything like, being, being a spy or, or the stealing money or stealing silver, they are just flat out confessing we are guilty because remember, they've been on this journey of interpreting everything as God is, knows that we're guilty. And so these are the words that you, that you and I should have as we approach forgiving others. We should come first to the Father and admit our guilt. See, this is the key to you having the grace to forgive others. It's not focusing on their sin, not focusing on the evil they did against you, but you focusing on your own sin and the own evil that you've done, committed against a holy God. We should come with these words in the presence of God God, you know our guilt, you know my guilt. And how can I be cleared of my guilt? And there's only one answer, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as you struggle with the journey to offer forgiveness, you need to shift your focus to your own guilt before the Lord, and then you are reminded of His grace. You're reminded of how undeserving you were of His forgiveness. The scripture makes it clear that while you were sinning against him, Christ died for your sin. And the only hope that you have to be forgiven was not anything of yourself. It was the grace that God gave you through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as you struggle down this journey to forgive those who don't deserve it, remember your own experience with God. That he forgave you. He forgave me, though you and I absolutely did not deserve it. So in response to Judah's admission of guilt, hey, we are guilty, what does Joseph do in response? He seems to actually be making a little progress because they said, kill the one who has it, enslave the rest of us. Instead, he says, I'm going to make the one a servant, and you can all go. So maybe there's a little progress here that Joseph is making in his journey of forgiveness. But then we see the key things that happen. and In the rest of the text, we're going to see three things that really seem to be very helpful in bringing Joseph to the point that he can absolutely forgive his brothers. The first thing we see is a reminder of the father's love. Look at verse 19. Now, Judah is speaking. Remember what's going on. Joseph said, all right, I'm keeping Benjamin. The rest of you can go. But Judah says, no, wait a minute. My Lord, Joseph, my Lord excuse me, he said, my Lord asked his servants, so Joseph, you asked us, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to you, we have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, referring to Joseph, and he, Benjamin, is left is, is alone, is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And so, in Judah's word, Joseph is reminded of his father's love. And he does, we see it again in verse 27. He says, Then your servant, my father, said to us, so Judah speaking about his father, Jacob, And he says that Jacob said, dad said to us, now you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. That's referring to Joseph. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. That's what they told him it happened when they lied saying Joseph was torn to pieces by a wild animal. And so the father continues, and I've never seen him since. And now if you take this one also from me referring to Benjamin and harm happens to him. You'll bring down my gray hairs in, even, in evil down to Sheol. So again, Joseph is reminded of his father's love. And I think this is starting to soften his heart. But then we see not only a reminder of the father's love, but next in verse 33, we see a tremendous act of grace by Judah. Judah says in verse 33, Now therefore, please, Let me remain instead of Benjamin. Let me, let let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So here we see in Judah's action an incredible act of grace. He says, I will sacrifice my freedom. I will be my brother's substitute. I will take his place. Enslave me. Take my life for him. And so it's an incredible act of grace. As he offers himself, he intercedes as a substitutionary sacrifice for his brother. And this seems to be the key act that softens Joseph's heart. Because it was after that, it says in the text, then, verse 1 of chapter 45, then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. And he cried, everyone, get away from me. So it's this act of grace By his brother to to offer himself as a substitutionary sacrifice that broke Joseph. And he says, everyone get away from me. And he finally is going to reveal to them. So so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And so this, this mass dam has broken and the emotions are flooding. He wept aloud so that all the Egyptians... Heard all throughout the household of Pharaoh. They heard it. This dude is wailing. This is ugly cry. And it is traveling down the hallways. And they are like, man, he is broken. He is letting it out. And I just got to believe that this this felt really good. My mom used to say, you know, sometimes you just need a good cry. And this is his good cry. I mean, he is letting it out. Verse 3, and Joseph says to his brother, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? And they're like do what? I mean, they are clueless. They have no idea that he is Joseph. This is the brother that they sold into slavery. His brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Don't you know they were like, roll raggy. This is Joseph The ruler of Egypt is our brother who we sold into slavery? They were dismayed at his presence. They couldn't answer him. So in verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, at that point, what did you think they expected Joseph to do? What did they deserve Joseph to do? Absolutely. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So Joseph, being a Christ-like figure in this moment, looks at his brothers through tear-stained eyes and he says, Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Why? For God sent me before you to preserve life. I want you to picture that scene in your own life. You're standing before the person that you think it is impossible to forgive them. And you're looking at them and they're below you because you have the power over them. Can you see yourself saying to them, I want you to forgive yourself because I've forgiven you. Because I see how faithful God is. It seems impossible, doesn't it? It, it, it seems like it's, there's no way, but I'm going to tell you, it's possible. But you've got to own, own up to it. And say, this is what God calls me to. And I need his help. I need his grace to forgive. And begin that journey of asking God to grant you forgiveness for that person. Joseph is a Christ-like figure for us. When Jesus was hanging on the cross. And it was my sin that hung him on the cross, and it was your sin that hung him on the cross. What did Jesus say at one of his last words as he's dying on the cross? Father, forgive them. And so, if we are going to claim to have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, then we have to be willing to begin the journey of offering forgiveness, the forgiveness of Christ. So we've seen this reminder of the father's love. We've seen this incredible act of grace by Judah that seems to have broken the dam. And then finally we see God's perspective that... that Joseph, by faith, was able to see how God has been using all of this evil for good. And that's part of the journey as us being able to forgive is remembering how God is faithful to use all the evil for good. In chapter 45, verse 8, he, God, uh, Joseph says, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. And Lord of all his house. And ruler of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father. And say to him. Thus says your son Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. And do not tarry. And then he blesses them. And tells them. And they brings about reconciliation. in the family in verse 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall be near me. And your children. And your children's children. And your flocks. And your herds. And all that you have. And then in verse 11 you see all this big picture of how God has been working faithfully through all the evil that they committed against Joseph. He says in verse 11, There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eye sees and the eyes of my brother Benjamin sees that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt. You must tell him what God has done, all that you've seen. So hurry, bring my father down here. And then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers. He kissed his enemies and he wept on them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I would really have liked to be in on that conversation. So let's talk about the last few years together. A little intervention time. In the rest of the story, Jacob and all his family is brought to Egypt where they are fruitful the language of the text is very clear they were fruitful and they multiplied into a mighty nation just as God has promised Jacob dies at the age of 147 he dies in faith saying hey do not let my bones be buried in Egypt bury them in the land of promise when you go there and so it's a beautiful picture of reconciliation and faith in God and God has been working all his good plans even though there's been a lot of evil going on in the process. So let's just think a minute about forgiveness. Was there were they guilty of their sin? Absolutely. Did their sin cause pain? Absolutely. Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional pain. Is Joseph saying they didn't sin? No, he's calling it sin, it's sin. They were wrong. They're guilty. They hated their brother. They sold him into human trafficking. They beat him near to death. Potiphar falsely accused him of rape. She sinned against him. All the evil was real. Forgiveness does not mean we pretend it didn't happen. Forgiveness does not mean we don't act like it's sin. However, in the midst of it all, God is sovereign and God is good. And what does God do? Say it with me. God uses evil for good. Let's try that again. We can do better than that. You need it repeated because, amen, brother. Let's go. God uses evil for good. That's right. The kids get it better than us adults. It's such an important reminder. That's why we've got to be in the word of God. Because everything in you doesn't want to believe that. Everything in you wants to get even and get revenge. So what caused Joseph to break finally and to forgive? Those three things, a reminder of the father's love. Do you really believe God loves you? Even when the sin is happening against you, our temptation is to think, well, God's not, God's mad at me. God loves you. The scriptures tell us he's up to good in the midst of it. Romans 8, 28, we know that, for those who are love for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God loves you, and he 's molding you into his image he 's working good in your life. We also see a rem- a rem- a, an act of grace. So we need to remember Jesus as the greatest act of grace. He, was the, he interceded for us. He was our substitutionary sacrifice. He said, I'll take the wrath for you. And that's what empowers us to give grace and to give forgiveness. Yeah, we call it sin, but then we treat sin the way Christ treated our sin, which was he forgave it. And he does not expect a repayment for it. And so that's the, that's the way we can begin to give grace, and give forgiveness. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how we treat those. While they're still sinning against us, not asking for it, we lay our life down. We lay our rights down. We do not exact payment from them. Finally, a reminder of God's perspective. Like Joseph was aware that God was using all the evil for good, we have to have eyes of faith. And remember, though we can't see it now, God is using it all for good. He's molding us into his image. When we were born, he created us in the image. It's been terribly marred by sin, but he's recreating that image of us. What is the image of God? Glory, grace, forgiveness. And he's making you glorious, gracious, and forgiving through all of this. So we've got to remember these things as we begin our journey of offering forgiveness to those that we absolutely don't want to offer it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As we sing this song, it's about laying your burdens down. I'm challenging you to look at your unforgiveness maybe in a new light. And listen, my heart breaks for you. I I don't want to frame it this way, but this is the way the word of God frames it. Your unforgiveness is rebellion against God. It's a sin that needs to be repented of for the glory of God and for your own good. And so during this song, as we sing about laying down your burden, I invite you to use the altar to come up here and just symbolically lay that on the altar and say, I'm going to strive by God's grace to give forgiveness the way that Christ gives me forgiveness. And during the song, just know I'm praying for you. I'm praying the Lord will give you the grace. I know it's a terribly painful process, but God is faithful. So use this time to do business with the Lord as we sing. And so remember, Joseph Stewart invited them in. They don't know it's time for a party. They don't know what's going on. The steward invites them in. And what are they thinking in verse 18? As the steward invites them in, they're saying, it's because the money. He was replacing our sacks the first time. And that's why we've been brought in so that he's going to assault us. He's going to fall upon us and he's going to enslave us. Why do they think that? He's going to enslave us, <laughs> because that's exactly what they did. They enslaved their brother, and so that's what they think God's going to do. God's, they're going, or the ruler's going to do. He's going to enslave us. Is that your view of God? God's mad at you. God God wants you to be miserable. He's punishing you for your sin. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is the Lord delaying his return to restore paradise? It's because he's waiting for you to come to Repentance. He is slow to anger. He wants you to come to repentance. Verse 23, we see Stuart brings them in. They're like, look, it's because the money I know. Verse 23, he replied, peace to you. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father has treasure for you. He's put treasure in your sack. I've received your money. Relax. And then he brought Simeon out to them. He's saying you've got it all wrong. You think he's out to hurt you? He's been lavishing you with money and treasure. Verse 29. Joseph comes into the room. He lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, Is this your youngest brother? of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurries out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. He entered his chambers and he wept there. He was moved with compassion towards these guilty sinners. We hear the heart of God here in zechariah ten six the prophet says this he says to a rebellious people, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Job- Joseph, I will bring them back. Why? Because I have compassion upon them, and they shall not be as though I had rejected them, for I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them that 's what the Lord is saying. I have not rejected my children. Come to me in repentance. And then in verse 31, Joseph threw them a feast. Then he washed his face. He got his act together. He came out controlling himself. He said, serve the food. And they served him, Joseph, by himself and then the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians ate by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews because they were an abomination. And they sat before him, before the ruler, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest and then the youngest and then one after another. They all sat there. And I love this line. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Are you kidding me? As it sunk in on them. This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. He is throwing us a feast. And we thought he was out to get us. Now, if I was there, I'd be like, I ain't eating first. Watch him and see if he croaks. He's out to get me. It's a picture of extravagant amazement, amazing grace. And that's the gospel. It is amazing grace, guilty sinners being thrown a feast because they've come back to the Father and he receives them by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it says that the portions, verse 34, portions were taken taken to them from Joseph's table. From the ruler's table, portions are given to them. And that's what God does. He takes the portions of Christ's righteousness and he gives them to us. And he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it is a feast of grace. Will you come to the feast of grace? Don't let your sin skew your view of God. He is pursuing you with grace and he's inviting you to come to the feast and feast on the righteousness of Christ. Will you come to him today? And the rest of the story, God keeps his promises. He gets all the rest of the family into Egypt where it says they are fruitful and they multiply into a mighty nation. And so God preserving the seed, which will be a blessing to all the nations. He's making his seed a mighty nation and he's got one thing left. They got to get to the promised land. And that's where we see the rest of the story go. And God, I pray that this morning, As we've seen, just a glorious, beautiful picture of your grace. That everyone, every single person here, will repent of their sin, confess it to God yes, we are guilty of our sin. Just like later in the story, they all finally get to the point where they say, We are guilty. And we need God. Lord, may every person here, whether it's the first time or the millionth time, confess our sin, bathe in the righteousness of Christ through faith because you are a merciful God. May we feast at your table of grace. And as we sing, Lord, I pray that a mighty conviction will fall upon us and that your spirit will humble us and that all our wrong, improper views of God will melt and we will see nothing but glory in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at NorrisFerryChurch.org.